Welcome to Threshold Church. Today's message is from Pastor Jake Kale. Let's pray, because I'm going to talk about an exciting subject tonight. Fasting. Fasting. Who likes to fast, right? Come on, exciting, right? Real, uh, real, real fun topic, real exciting topic. It's actually a great topic, an important topic that I didn't know what I was going to preach on until last night around midnight. So that was when I felt like the Lord just synced it up to me and uh, clear and made it clear. So let's pray. I want to ask the Holy Spirit to help us and open up his word to us. Father, I thank you so much uh, for this time together. I thank you for uh, your word, God, that your word is powerful. Your word is living. Your word is active. And God, I ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to come, Lord, and to minister to us, God, to open up our hearts. Father, to open up our minds, God, to speak to us. Father, I thank you that you are real and that you reward those who diligently seek you, your word says, God. You are real, Father, and that you, re- you reward those who diligently seek you. And I thank you, Lord, as we go even in this topic about fasting. Lord, would you bring illumination? Would you speak to us? Would you give us insight? Would you equip us? Would you empower us? And so, God, we just invite your Holy Spirit to meet with us and to use this time. Uh, we give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, if you have a Bible, open up to Matthew, the book of Matthew, first book in the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 16. This is where uh, Jesus begins to teach about fasting, but just to give a little bit of context... It's in a series of teachings that he's doing. This whole part of scripture, Matthew chapter 5 through 7, it's uh, often known as the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus went up uh, onto a mountain and multitudes of people were gathered and he was, he was teaching them from that place. And starting in chapter 6, he goes through a series of teachings uh, on giving, on praying, and on fasting. So he starts with giving uh, at the beginning of chapter 6, charitable giving, and he says something along these, I'm just going to kind of paraphrase leading up to this part. He says, make sure when you do your charitable deeds, when you do your acts of giving, he said, make sure you don't do it for the purpose of being seen by other people. He said, don't be like the hypocrites. He used this term multiple times in this series of teaching. He says, don't be like the hypocrites who, you know, blow trumpets in the streets when they're going to be doing their acts of uh, giving. Because they want everybody else to notice, oh, can you believe how much so-and-so gave? Wow, they did such a good thing. And he says, they've received their reward already. That was their reward. They were after accolades. They were after the praise of man. And that's the reward. They get no reward from their heavenly father because they were doing it for the wrong reason. And so so he starts with giving. And he says, when you give, he said, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is giving. I don't know how you accomplish that. It's pretty tough. But I think he's trying to teach us a lesson that to, to do it with the right heart, with the right motive, with a pure motive, not trying to be impress other people. Now, the word hypocrites, he uses it multiple times. We'll get to it in Matthew, uh, in, in, our, in our text. But it means, it means actor. I wrote a whole book on this called Hypocrisy Exposed. But I'm not going to teach the whole book. But, just to, but just, to, just to give you a little bit of insight. The word for hypocrites, it means an actor. It means somebody who's pretending. Somebody who's putting on a show. Somebody who's putting on an act. And so he, he says that about giving. He says, don't be like the hypocrites who are trying to put on a good show and, and, and get all kind of praise from people. And then he says the same thing about praying. 
He, uh, it's in verse 5, I think. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues on the corner of streets that they may be seen by men. In other words, the whole purpose of them doing this, it's not to relate to God. It's not to partner with the Holy Spirit. It's not to see the kingdom advance. The whole reason why they're trying to pray is to get people's attention, is to get people's praise. By the way, this is definitely, uh, he's not talking about uh, corporate prayer. He's, he, he's not saying never pray in public. He's saying pray with the right heart and the right motives. That's, that's what he's saying throughout this whole time. So he talks about prayer that way. And then he goes into verse 16. He goes through a whole uh, teaching on prayer. But then when we get to verse 16, he starts talking about fasting. And he says this, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites. He says the same thing again. Do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now before I go into this teaching about fasting, I just want to, again, give this context and just, just notice something about how God um, is after our hearts in this whole series of, of teachings. Notice how much motives matter to God. Notice that it's not just the outward actions that matter to God. God is not after just outward religious rituals. God is not after us just singing through songs in order to go through songs and go through motions. God is not after us just repeating prayers just so we can look holy and appear nice and appear righteous. God is after the heart. God is after the heart. And if there's one thing that Jesus could not stand throughout his whole ministry, it is hypocrisy. And if you have any doubt about that, on your own time, not right now in my sermon, in your own time, read Matthew 23. Read, if you, if you have any doubt about what Jesus thought about hypocrisy, read Matthew 23, where over and over and over again, he said, woe to you, Pharisees and scribes, you hypocrites. He says you're, you're acting like you're trying to appear so good, but meanwhile, you're keeping people out of the kingdom of God. You're, you're devouring widows' houses. You're taking advantage of the weak and the vulnerable, and you're putting on this righteous show to appear so good. If there's anything that Jesus could not stand, it was hypocrisy. It was acting. It was phoniness. It was insincerity. You see, God can, God can work with a person who is lost, but they're sincere. Even the Apostle Paul, as he was murdering Christians, he had a sincere heart. He actually thought he was serving God. God can actually work with that person more than he can, the phony who pretends to be good but is doing evil behind closed doors. God, there's nothing that, that God can do until that person comes into the light and will walk in sincerity. You see, God can reach a person who's lost, but a person that's walking in this duplicity and insincerity and hypocrisy, then, then there's not much he can do. Not that he can't, but he won't do that. 
So if there's one thing that, that over and over again Jesus spoke against, it was this, this hypocrisy. And specifically with fasting now, we're talking about fasting today. He's, you know, again, there was giving, there was praying, and now fasting. Those are three spiritual disciplines, you could say, or three um, actions of, of Christians that Jesus expected his followers to do. Because in each case, he said, when, when you give, when you do your charitable deeds, when, so he expected that his followers would be giving. He was just concerned how they did it, why they did it, if their motive was right. But he was expecting that they would simply do that because that's what a follower of Jesus would do is to be generous, is to, to give. He was expecting that his followers would pray. He didn't, he didn't, he, he didn't say, uh, he didn't, he didn't say if you pray, he said when you pray, do it this way, not this way. And same with fasting. He was expecting that his followers would fast. Because he said, moreover, when you fast. When you fast. He didn't say if you ever happen to fast one time. He didn't say if you ever decide that, 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 that you're going to withstand from food. He actually considered it normal. He considered it a practice that his followers would be doing. But he was concerned that they were doing it in a way that was sincere heart, pure motive, for the right reasons. But, but he assumed that they would do it. He assumed that they would do it. He says, don't be like the hypocrites with a sad, you just, I can just picture this person just moping, you know, moping around and putting dirt on their face and just, you know, acting like they're all, you know, sad and dejected. You know, there's just this phony, just, you know, religious piousness. I can just picture that, that, what he's referring to. And he says, no, take a shower. <laughs> take a shower, anoint your head, look, look normal. Be real, be sincere. Don't be a phony about it. Don't do it to try to let everybody know so you can, everyone can think, oh man, can you believe Jake's fasting? Can you believe they're fat? Can you believe how many days, like, no, that, that you've missed the point. You missed the whole heart of the matter and you lose the reward that God would have for you. I'd much rather be rewarded by my Father in heaven than get a couple praises by, by people. Right? That's the heart that, that, that he wants us to have is that we're not living for people's praise. We're not living in a fear of man or in a need for the praise of man, but we're living with a heart that's set on God and his kingdom and seeking first his kingdom. You know, he finishes Matthew, 60, uh, Matthew chapter 6, he finishes with that focus of seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. We're not pursuing those things, we're pursuing the kingdom. And as a byproduct, these things are added to us. When you fast, he says it twice in verse 16 and in verse 17, when you fast, when you fast. What is fasting? I'm going to give some just foundation. I'm going to go through some foundational teaching on what is fasting. Why would we do this weird practice? I mean, how many people like to eat in the room? Anybody? Let's be honest. Some people are like, come on, I've raised my hand. Come on, I like to eat. Why on earth would I choose not to eat? Well, you know, why on earth would I decide I'm going to abstain from food? What is fasting? Well, fasting is a spiritual discipline. It's a spiritual discipline. Sometimes we think the word discipline's a bad word because we're under grace, right? We are under grace, absolutely. But grace empowers us to work. 
Grace empowers us to work. There's still a need for spiritual discipline. And spiritual discipline is driven by spiritual hunger because we're hungry for the things of God. It drives us to the place of of having spiritual disciplines like praying, like setting aside time to be with God. It's not legalistic to have a time where you meet with God. Jesus did it. You know, sometimes we're so afraid of being religious that we miss the spiritual practices that God has for us. We're so afraid that we're going to be legalistic or no. Again, Jesus cut through. He said, don't do it in this way, but he said, still do it. He said to still do it. And sometimes we can avoid the spiritual disciplines that are necessary for us to grow in our walk with God, to grow in Christ. It's like, If I set aside a date night with my wife, I mean, that's not legalism. It's called love. It's called I want to be with my wife. I want to have quality time. I want to have time together, right? Right? Just like that, when we're spending time with God, when we're being disciplined in in setting aside times to pray, times to read the word, times to fast. So fasting is is to, uh, it's a spiritual discipline. I hardly got two, two words into my definition. Fasting is a spiritual discipline. It's closely related to prayer. Often in scripture, prayer and fasting go together. They're often combined together. I heard one person, I'm not sure who this quote's from, but I thought it was really good. He said, to fast without praying is starving. Right? To fast without praying is starving. Right? So, so it's meant to be combined with prayer. And often in scripture, we see them working together. And simply put, just a quick definition, fasting is to abstain from food for a spiritual purpose. Just a simple definition. To abstain from food for a spiritual purpose. That's the basic biblical definition of fasting. Now, I'm not opposed to other types of fasting, like media fast or, you know, some of us should probably go on a permanent media fast. (laughs) I'm not opposed to, you know, hey, I'm going to jump off social media for a month or I'm going to jump off the news. I'm just don't watch the news. Uh, I'm going to jump off the news for a month or, you know, I'm going to not listen to me. I'm going to, you know, whatever, like that's, you know, people call it a media fast. There's nothing wrong with that. There's actually, that can be great. It's almost like a fast of your soul. You're like fasting, you know, you're like detoxing your, your soul. That can be great. But, but what I'm talking about, you know, biblically speaking, fasting does relate to food. It does actually relate to food. And there's a reason why, why God um, gave us this spiritual discipline and why there's significance to it. Okay, it's clear from the passage in Matthew 6 that Jesus expected his followers to fast. It's also clear that our motives must be pure in order for us to obtain the benefits of fasting that God intends, that God has for us. So it's clear that we're supposed to do it. It's clear that God wants us to do it and that he wants us to have the right heart. Now, I just want to give a couple of little bullet point, like facts about fasting. So one, fasting was practiced by many of the heroes of the faith, both biblically in the biblical examples, Old Testament and New Testament, right? Many of the heroes of our faith that we can point to in Scripture, but also in church history, historical characters practiced fasting. It was something that they incorporated into their walk with God, into their lives. 
Many of the characters in scripture, many of the characters in church history, heroes of the faith, they practiced fasting. Fasting was practiced and taught by Jesus. Jesus himself. Now the most you know, famous one, the one that we know about with Jesus was his 40-day fast. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 4, also in the Gospel of Luke and in Mark in different ways. But, but in Matthew 4, it, it talks about how Jesus, after being baptized in the water, uh, in the Jordan, and also receiving the Holy Spirit upon him, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to fast for 40 days. And it says that he was hungry after. <laughs> you, you would think so, right? After 40, 40 days. He was hungry, and the devil came to him and tempted him and said, if you are the Son of God, right, turn this stone on the bread, this whole, all these temptations. But Jesus practiced fasting. Jesus himself fasted. And sometimes we think, well, Jesus is God, so he didn't know. Well, Jesus was also fully man. So Jesus, you know, abstained from food for 40 days in his humanity. He, he, in his humanity, he needed to eat just like you and I. So, but, so he practiced it, he taught it, he talked about the importance of it. We can also see another point here is that fasting was practiced by the early church. One example is Acts 13, 1 through 3, the church at Antioch. The church that was at Antioch, we can see this story in Acts 13, where they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. So they were, they were ministering to the Lord, which means probably worshiping the Lord, waiting on the Lord, just uh, exalting him being with him, and they were fasting. And then the Holy Spirit spoke and said, set apart to me Saul and Barnabas for the words to which I have called them. And then they said, after they had fasted and prayed, they laid hands upon Saul, who we know is the apostle Paul, but they were calling him Saul at the time. Saul and Barnabas, they laid hands on him and with fasting, and they sent them out. So the early church practiced fasting. There's other examples we could point to in Paul's writings and other places. But I just, I want you to show this, I want, I want you to see this thread throughout scripture of how fasting was a key spiritual discipline. Now, fasting is not uh, exclusive to Christianity. I mean, there's other religious belief systems that will practice fasting in, in, in various ways. Okay? Now, what they do it for and why they do it and how they do it, it's going to be different but just other belief systems also, just like other belief systems have a form of prayer, a form of you know, meditation or praying or other types of things, right? But why does God want us to fast? Why, I'm going I'm to get into some of that, um, some of the why, like the, some of the spiritual benefits. I want to get into, in, into a couple minutes. I want to just mention with some of this foundational teaching that even in Scripture, we can see different types of fasting that happens. Different ways that fasting happens. Different numbers of days that fasting happens. Jesus fasted for 40 days. Esther fasted for three days. Daniel fasted for 21 days. There's a, there's a fast where uh, they fasted for seven days, I think, after uh, one of the kings. Maybe it was after King Saul died or something along those, something like that. So there's different lengths of time that people fasted for. Different ways that people fasted. For instance, um, here's some... Here's some wording. This is not like the Bible doesn't call them this. This is what church leaders and other scholars use these types of terms just to bring definition. Uh, one type of fast is what's sometimes called a total fast. A total fast. That's abstaining from all food and all liquids for a period of time. And an example in the Bible is Esther. 
Esther 4.16 mentions that they, they, they didn't eat or drink for three days. That's a serious one. Now they were up against a serious situation. They were facing death. They were facing the death sentence for all the Jewish people. And, and, and Esther called this fast and said, you know, told Mordecai, tell, tell all of our people to set aside these three days and abstain from food, abstain from water, don't eat or drink, and we're going to pray. And then after the three days, I'm going to go and appeal to the king. And we know that God gave her favor and God answered and turned it in their favor, right? We know that. So that's, that's one type of fast. Now, Moses did this for 40 days uh, when he was in the direct presence of God on the mountain. So there's no way you could go for 40 days without drinking water in the natural. But he was like in the direct glory of God and he was able to be sustained in God's glory for 40 days without food or water. Don't try that. <laughs> Unless you're also in the glory of God. <laughs> okay, if you're in the glory of God and, and God tells you to do it, okay, uh, be very, I would only do this type of fast if you are specifically led by the Holy Spirit. You know, I would, I, I would not encourage people to abstain from food and water uh, unless you really believe God is telling you to do it. And unless it's, you know, maybe for a day or a short period of time, for Esther it was three days, okay? So, I mean, that's, that's a pretty serious one. And that's, uh, I wouldn't say like the normal fast. The, the next one is actually what is sometimes people call the normal fast. The normal fast, that's abstaining from all solid foods. Abstaining from all solid foods and, and having liquids. Now, some people would only just do water. They would only have water. Some people might have some juices or, you know, some, some, some liquids uh, mixed in. Whatever, however you fast, just predetermine ahead of time and just, you know, seek the Lord about it and predetermine ahead of time and then, and then stick with what, you know, what you decided beforehand. So if you decide, I'm going to do a, you know, a normal fast, I'm going to have nothing but water for the next day or the next two days or like whatever it is, you know, just, you know, uh, determine ahead of time, right? It's not about being legalistic about it or this one's the only way to do it or this one's the right way, the wrong way, right? These are all in the Bible. So in this case, I uh, was abstaining from all food and only having liquids, either only water or having some other liquids in there. So uh, the main biblical example of that is Jesus. When he went for 40 days in the wilderness, he didn't eat any, any food. And so uh, he was, obviously he was hungry, like I said. Another type of fast is called a partial fast, or sometimes people call it a Daniel fast because Daniel was the one who is the example in the Bible of this. Uh, I just often call it a partial fast. That's abstaining from specific types of foods, abstaining from specific food items such as meats uh, for a period of time. So in Daniel's case, in Daniel chapter 10, verse 3, it talks about how he didn't eat any pleasant foods or wine or meats. So no sugar. Man, no sugar and no meat. Wow. I'd probably rather just have nothing, right? Just, you know, why not just cut it all out? <laughs> Eating veggies, you know, just broccoli and salad and, you know. I actually like some of that food, by the way. Um, but I also like meats and, and sweets. <clears throat> Ask my wife, she'll, she'll confirm this. Um, but but it, was, it was a partial fast. 
He wasn't abstaining from every type of food. He was abstaining from some specific types of food, meats, wine, and pleasant foods, maybe sweets or delicacies because he was in the king's you know, do, uh, domain and he probably had access to the best of the best types of food. And so, but he abstained intentionally for this, it was a 21-day period. It was a time of prayer, and he was seeking God. He was fasting. He was asking for insight into a specific type of um, revelation he had gotten. Okay? So that's a partial fast. And I think biblically, those are the three main examples, the three main types of ways that we see people fasting participating in this spiritual discipline. Now, let's get back to that question of why. Why would I choose to abstain from food? I don't know about for you, but when I uh, do fasting, it's not normally a pleasant experience. <laughs> it's not, I mean, I've, I've heard some people that they just like have all these God encounters and they're like, like in the heavenlies and they're having these experiences with the Holy Spirit and they're just like, I'm just like, I'm sorry, that's not been my, uh, my, my story with fasting. I wish it was. I wish I was just living in the glory like Moses on the mountain or, uh, you know, just, but that's not, when I fast, it's kind of unpleasant. I mean, you can get a headache because your body's detoxing. So your head can hurt the first day or two. Your breath is like terrible. So don't fast gum. <laughs> you know, allow yourself to have some gum in there. Um, your, your breath, I mean, just like your breath is bad. You, you, you feel weak. You start to feel weak because, you know, your body is not getting the, the nutrients that it's, you know, normally getting and supposed to be getting. And, and sometimes you can't sleep as well. And just, you can't, my, your brain gets a little bit foggy. For me, my brain starts to get foggy and harder to think. I mean, it's just, I'm just being real. That's, for, that's been my experience of fasting. <laughs> Most times. There, there, there have been a couple times where during, you know, an extended time of fasting where it was more like there was a, there was a, a sense, a deep, a real sense of the presence of God. And uh, there was a, uh, I'm not saying I don't sense God's presence when I fast, but, but, um, but, I'm not, but, but it's also not these like glorious encounters uh, kind of a thing. But there, 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 there have been a couple times where there was more of that sense of just, wow, there was a, a, a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit that was different than I was used to. And there was a sense of God's presence that was more stronger than I was used to. So I have had a few of those. And, you know, God, God, God gives me that to keep me going sometimes, right? Um, but however, most of the time it's not very pleasant. Right? So, and I'm not saying your experience has to be like mine. I mean, I hope you have glorious encounters when you fast. But my question is, why? Why would we do this? What, what is God after? Is he trying to, you know, punish us? Is he, is he trying to make us earn the work, you know, prove, prove that we're, you know, willing to do? I don't think it's about any of that. I don't think it's about punishing us. Definitely not about punishing us. It's not about us, us working our way to God. Like we have to like earn our, our, our place. And no, we, we already belong to God. We're already his sons and his daughters. We already have access through the blood of Jesus. So, so what is it? Well, I'm going to give you four, four points that I believe why fasting is important and why we should be doing this spiritual discipline. Uh, number one is drawing near to God. Drawing near to God. James 4.8, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. 
one of my favorite verses, one of the best promises in the entire Bible, is that God has given us an invitation. God has given us this call, and he was saying, if you will take that step. You see, he, he took the step already. He sent his son. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead, and he sent us the invitation and saying, I'm here. I'm ready. I want to know you. I want to be in relationship with you. I want, to, I, want, I want to walk with you. And he says, if you will draw near to me, I will draw near to you. So it's an open invitation for all believers that we can actually be as close to God as we want to be. Now, does it take persistence? Does it take pursuit? Absolutely. I said this as I was praying. It says in Hebrews, it says that those who come to him must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So yes, it can involve a diligence of seeking him and drawing near to him can, can be a diligent process. And it can involve multiple things. It can be opening up the Bible and just spending time and saying, God, what are you saying to me? Reading his word, meditating on his word. It can be spending time just setting aside time to pray. Like Jesus said in Matthew 6 earlier, uh, verse 6, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, shut out the distractions, shut out everything else and be alone with God. Pray to him in the secret place. It, it could be worshiping the Lord just in your own, not, not waiting till Sunday, but, but just as you're driving down the, down the road, you're just singing songs to God. As you wake up in the morning or before you go to bed at night, you're just singing thanks to God. You're giving him thanks. Giving thanks is one of the best ways to draw near to God. Do you know that? Giving thanks is a way to draw near to God. That's why we, we, say, this, we say this psalm all the time, right? Enter his gates with thanksgiving. His courts with praise. That's not just a nice statement. He's saying when you come with thanksgiving, you are entering through my gates. You are drawing near to me. So there's all these different ways. There's multiple different things, right? These are all ways we can draw near to God. Sometimes the best way to draw near to God is to wait upon him, just to get quiet, to be still, to come into his presence and to be quiet and wait and just focus your attention on him Meditate on his, on his word, on his scripture, and just be quiet. It says, be still and know that I am God. Sometimes when you just wait upon him quietly. See, we're, we're so used to activity. We're so used to noise. We're so used to, we have to be doing something or receiving something or saying something. And sometimes the best way to pray is just to be still. And when we do that, we wait upon him. God draws near to us. But one of the ways that we can draw near to God is by fasting is by fasting. I believe that when we fast, it allows us, number one, on a practical level, like let's say you're fasting for three days, well, how many hours did that just free up in your schedule that you would be eating? On a very practical level, you could actually take the time that you would be eating lunch and you could read your Bible and pray and wait upon God. You could, you could take the time you would normally be eating dinner and you could worship him and, and praise him and thank him or intercede or pray, pray in the spirit. You could do all, you could do, like, so on a very practical level, just by taking that part out of your day, you're actually opening up space in your day where you can actually give that time to the Lord. I think it's also, it seems like fasting is in, in a way can kind of recalibrate us spiritually. Well, we just need to kind of get recalibrated and get restored to our first love to the Lord and just get our focus back on him. It's kind of like um, if you ever go on like a health program, like 
uh, a fitness program, an exercise program, or you get a membership to the gym, or you start, you know, it's like sometimes, you know, it, those, that's not isolated from everything else. You can't like just get a gym membership and then keep eating McDonald's every day and be healthy, right? You know, you can't just get a gym membership and then just do everything out and then, you know, don't, don't exercise, never go to the gym or, or not. But, but sometimes when you like, when you get on a program, an exercise program, you start to think, and it's like, oh, if I'm going to be doing this exercise program, I should probably also be eating healthy. I should probably also be getting enough sleep. I should probably also be, be, be thinking about getting vitamins and having the right nutrients. And, and so it's almost like that one thing all of a sudden recalibrated your whole health because, because you were, because now you're being intentional. It's like, okay, if I'm going to be intentional about this, I got to actually be intentional in all these other areas. And I believe that fasting can do the same thing in our spiritual lives. It's like, if I'm going to be fasting, I'm also going to be feeding on God's word. I'm also going to be thinking about the Lord more. I'm going to be getting my thoughts aligned with his thoughts. It can like recalibrate our whole spiritual life. It has a way of doing that. So that's one of the reasons, it's one of the benefits, it's one of the rewards that Jesus said your heavenly Father will reward you openly. He'll reward you openly. That's, I believe one of the, the best reward is God himself, is drawing near to him and having him draw near to us. So if that was the only reason to do it, that would be good enough. Now I believe there's other reasons why. A second one I want to mention is I believe that fasting can help us overcome the flesh. It can help us overcome the flesh. Uh, Galatians 5, 16 and 17, the whole, that whole series of verses there in Galatians 5, the Apostle Paul talks about the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, but he also talks about the works of the flesh and how these two are contrary to each other. And it's like there is this battle happening. Like, like, the Holy, like we need to yield to the Holy Spirit and put to death the flesh, the old nature, the old ways. And on one hand, it's like it's already finished. We're a new creation. It's crucified. On the other hand, the Bible also talks about to, for us to continue to put to death the deeds of the flesh. So fasting... Now, obviously, food is not sinful. God gave us food. We need food to eat and live. God wants us to enjoy food. But food is like the basic necessity of our human body. It's like the basic thing that we need to feed, that we feed ourselves, right? And so, in some ways, when we choose to fast... We are prioritizing the spiritual over the natural. That's what a spiritual discipline does. It prioritizes the spiritual over the physical, over the natural. And so when I voluntarily abstain from food in order to draw near to God, in order to feed my spirit, it's like I am I'm weakening the hold that the flesh has in my life. Again, not that food is sinful. We can make an idol of food, of course. We can make any good thing an idol. But it's almost like when we choose to depend on God in this way, when we choose to uh, abstain from something that normally would be good and normally would be a, a thing we should, do, should have, I believe it helps us to break the power of the flesh, to break the power of, of the hold that the flesh can have in our life, the carnal things, the worldly things, 
And so if we can have self-control in fasting, I believe that we can also grow in self-control in other areas. If we can grow, if we can have self-control over our, our, our physical appetite, we can have self-control over other appetites. We can conquer lust. We can conquer fleshliness, selfishness, and entitlement, and other, other types of things that are rooted in self, that are self-centered, that lead to these works of the flesh. So I think, I think fasting positions us in a way to help overcome the flesh. Number three, a third benefit of why fasting is important. Fasting is one of the biblical ways to humble ourselves. Humbling ourselves. Psalm 35, 13, it says, I humbled myself with fasting. I humbled myself with fasting. Did you know that it's actually not really a scripturally accurate prayer to say, God, humble me? We, we can pray, we, we, we will pray, God, no, humble me, humble. Actually, the, the scriptural command is to humble yourself. In fact, multiple places it says this. In 1 Peter, it says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due season. James says the same thing. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. Jesus said it this way. He said, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But notice in all those passages, he's saying, humble yourself, humble yourself. See, our job is to humble ourselves. God's job is to exalt us the way he sees fit. Here's the problem. If we do God's job, he'll do our job. If we do God's job, meaning if I start exalting myself, promoting myself, pushing myself, self-exaltation, then God has to say, whoops, you're doing my job, son. I guess I got to do yours. Boop, let's get, let's get you down a little bit lower. <laughs> See, my job is to humble myself. Our job as believers is to humble ourselves. God's job then, as he sees fit for his purposes, Whatever, why, whatever reason, God does exalt people. God does promote people. There's nothing wrong with God promoting and God exalting. It says that he does that. But it better be him doing it for his purposes, for his glory, for his kingdom advancing. That's why he's doing it. And the moment we start to allow it to think, oh, look what I've done. Look at, look at me. Look at this. Look, right? Then we're, we're, we're starting to get in dangerous waters. I believe humility is something we can all, we all, we, we all need to keep growing in this. I'm praying, God, teach me. What, is, what does humility look like in your kingdom? Not, again, not false humility. Just like Jesus said, don't be like the phonies that just pretend this or that. Or, right? I, don't want, I don't want, sometimes, you know, we, can, we, we, we want to look humble. And so we, we, we beat ourselves up. And we talk bad about ourselves. And, you know, that's not the type of humility that God is looking for. But a true humility that, takes on the attitude of Christ to, to lower ourselves. Man, I was really uh, moved by recently Anna and I were listening to a, 
a, a podcast, and there was kind of a little side note in the podcast. And um, in the podcast, he was, ta- he was a little side note talking about the Azusa Street Revival uh, in the 19, early 1900s, and just when the Holy Spirit was pouring out, and um, the people were speaking in tongues. It was kind of like a new phenomenon. It was becoming more common. Like, not that people never spoke in tongues before that in church history. They did. But it was like there was an outpouring of people being baptized in the Spirit, speaking in tongues. And, and one of the main leaders of this revival was a guy named William Seymour. And he was an African-American man. And he was, had hardly any education. And he had like one eye. One of his eyes was like shut. I'm not sure if it was a, he was born that way or a medical condition. I don't, I don't know the details. But he was like the main leader of this, of this revival. And this person was telling how when, when the service would start, I was moved to tears when I heard this, the service would start and he would like hide himself in the like back corner and put a box, he put a box over his head because he did not want anybody to associate the move of God with him, with a man. I was like, wow. He did not want anybody to come there thinking that it was about him. He didn't want anybody to come there to think that this move of God was somehow about a person. I was like, wow, God, I want, give us that kind of humility, God. Give me that kind of humility. We need that kind of humility in our modern day, you know, church revival, this and that, and this name and that name, and just, uh, we've got to somehow get away. And I know God works through people. That's the thing he does. He works through people, but we've got to somehow get away from just, needing to feed off of what God's doing and look what God's doing through me and like just we have to we have to get to that place now I believe one of the ways the one of the biblical ways to walk in humility is fasting when we're doing it with the right motives not doing it so that others can praise us that's the opposite right that Jesus said don't do it that way but Psalm 35 he says I humbled myself with fasting so in a very real practical way, right, when Jesus says, humble yourself, and God will exalt you, or whoever humbles himself will be, right? So when you ask, well, how do we do that? Well, one way is through fasting. There's other ways, not the only way. But one of the ways we can actually practically grow in humility is by fasting in secret, is by fasting just between us and God. I'm not saying no one can ever know. Like my wife knows when I'm fasting because on a practical level, that means I'm not going to be eating dinner that night. You know, so it's good for her to know that. Right? And I'm not saying it's ever wrong. You know, sometimes we do corporate fasts where it's like, hey, as a church body, we're going to be fasting. You know, we always start the year with a 21-day time of, of fasting. We encourage people, right? Again, in the Bible, there was examples of that too, of corporate fasting. But, when it, but the attitude of the heart, it's secret. It's between me and God. It's I'm doing this just because I want to obey God, because I want to humble myself before God. See, fasting demonstrates a dependence on God because I'm intentionally putting myself in a weakened state. I'm intentionally putting myself in a weakened state. Again, where my mind might feel foggier and I might feel you know, not as nourished and I'm not maybe sleeping the same or but but I'm intent so in that weakened state I have to depend on God and his word on a, to a greater degree where well, I have to depend on him more because I can't depend on my own strength I don't have that own my, the, the strength that I would normally have is not there 
especially if it's an extended time of, of fasting. So I believe it's a way of humbling ourselves, of, of, of being dependent on God, dependent on his word. And that's why even Jesus, whenever the devil tempted him and said, if you're the son of God, turn the stone into bread. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He says, I'm feeding on God's word. I'm finding my nourishment from what God speaks. I'm finding my nourishment from what he has said. I'm finding my strength from my relationship with the Father. It's strengthening me when I feel weak because the Bible says when I'm weak, then I'm strong. The last point I want to make, the last benefit of fasting that I think is an important one is that fasting can help obtain spiritual breakthrough. Fasting can be an important element of obtaining spiritual breakthrough. Mark 9, 29, Jesus said, this kind cannot come out except by prayer and fasting, referring to a demonic situation where a young boy who was demonized and the disciples were not able to cast it out. And they said, Lord, why couldn't we cast it out? He said, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now, I don't understand all that. I don't understand why, but I, here's, what I, here's what I believe and here's what I know. Fasting does something in the spiritual realm. Fasting is an act of spiritual warfare. Fasting is an act of spiritual warfare. Fasting does violence to the kingdom of darkness. The devil does not want you to fast, I guarantee you. See, because fasting, again, humbles ourselves. And here's what it says in the Bible. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, how important is humility if God resists, God himself resists the proud? It's one thing for the devil to resist you, you know, you don't want, you know, we don't want to do, it's a whole other level for God to resist you. There's nothing you can do about that, right? The devil, we can stand against and we could, you know, we have the armor of God and we could resist his attack, right? But when God himself is the one resisting you, your, your only out is to humble yourself, right? God gives grace to the humble. One of the ways that God distributes his grace is when we humble ourselves. It releases a grace to us. And so fasting is an act of spiritual violence against the powers of darkness. See, spiritual warfare is not about us yelling big things or, you know, putting our fist in the air and acting like we're all spiritual and powerful and, you know, authoritative. And listen, there's a place for, yes, declaring God's word and interceding. And, but but, but spiritual, spiritual warfare doesn't work the same way as physical warfare. There's things in the spiritual realm that are weapons that we would never think are weapons. Peace is a weapon in the spiritual realm. Because it says in Romans 16, 20, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The God of peace, right? Walking in peace crushes the head of Satan. Walking in the fruit of the Spirit. Walking in love. Walking in the presence of God. The devil hates the presence of God. And you're walking in the glory of God. You're walking in the presence of God. Everywhere you step your feet, it's like light is like God's light. Like Eric gave that prophetic word that we talked about the pumpkin being carved and God's light is beginning to shine through you, right? So there's certain things in the spiritual realm that, that impact the battle happening. We're in a battle. We need to keep reminding ourselves like we are in a battle. We were born into a battle. 
And fasting can bring a breakthrough in the spiritual realm. This is what happened in Daniel chapter 10. If you're taking notes, just write down Daniel 10, 1 through 14. And again, read it maybe later this week or tonight. I'll do a quick paraphrase, but this is a time that gives us an insight into what's happening in the spiritual realm, where Daniel had received a revelation from God, and Daniel was uh, seeking insight. He, was, he, he wanted to know what this vision meant, this dream meant that he had, and he was, so he was fasting. This is when he was fasting for 21 days. He was abstaining from meats and wine and pleasant food, and as he was fasting, this, this angel eventually makes his way to Daniel, the angel Gabriel. We know he's one of the angels named in the Bible. He's a pretty significant angel. And he comes and he is a visitation. He visits Daniel. And he essentially says, have no fear, Daniel. From the first day that you set yourself to seek God and to, and to call upon him and pray, I was sent to you. From the first day. Now it's 21 days later. He's saying from the first day you prayed, I was sent. God, God answered immediately. God sent the answer right away. So why did it take 21 days? Well, he explains it. He says, however, the prince of Persia withstood me. Well, who in the world is the prince of Persia? It wasn't a human. It was a principality. It was a power of darkness. It was a demonic being, a fallen angel. It was assigned over the territory of Persia. That when Gabriel's coming down, this principality says, I don't think so, Gabriel. And they get into a spiritual battle, whatever that, I don't know what that looks like, but they're battling in the spirit. And Daniel is fasting. Daniel is praying. And it, the implication is that his prayer and his fasting was affecting the spiritual battle that was happening in the heavenly realms. And eventually Michael was sent to help. The archangel Michael was sent to help free Gabriel to finish his assignment, right? See, this, that's a pretty amazing story. It gives us some insight into some things in the spiritual realm that maybe sometimes, maybe, maybe the answer was already given, but it's held up. Maybe the answer is on the way, but we got to keep pressing through. We got to keep praying through. We got to keep fasting through. We got to keep standing and believing in that place because God has sent the answer, but there's a spiritual battle, battle happening over the answer to that prayer. Maybe so. Maybe there's times when that's the case. There's a reason why that scripture is in there for us to, to glean from. But regardless of how it all works, again, I don't claim to understand how all of this works. I know there's a, a, a level of mystery to this, but I do know that fasting does something in the spiritual realm and can bring spiritual breakthrough. You know, for years I, I've been asking God for a greater release of his anointing to see greater deliverances, to see more of his power, to see more. Because although we see so many things, we see God moving, we see powerful deliverances, we also know there's more. We also know there's more to be had. And a couple years ago, I felt like God said, then he didn't like speak this to me, but through a book I was reading and through some, all of a sudden it was like the light bulb went off. And it was like, it was like he was saying, well, Jake, the answer is fasting. Like the answer is fasting. And I was like, well, that's obvious. Like, why didn't I, <laughs> not that I was never fasting before, but it was all of a sudden it was like, oh, 
And I, I began to see that in the scriptures, even, you know, Jesus, it says he went into the wilderness, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness in Luke 4. He came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit, in the power after fasting, after fasting for 40 days and overcoming the temptation of the enemy for those days. He came out in the power of the Spirit. This kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. I was reading a book by Mahesh Chavda called The Hidden Power of Prayer and Fasting. I was, I'd read it years ago. I was rereading it, and this is when God just kind of dropped this light bulb for me. And I was reading this book, and he was connecting it a lot to deliverance. And he was sharing his journey of how when he was a young minister before he was pastoring, now he's been pastoring for years, and he is an itinerant speaker and has done crusades overseas. But before that, he was working in a mental institution. He was like a psychologist or counselor. He was working in a mental institution. And there was a, uh, a young man, I think in the book they called him Stevie. It wasn't his real name. But Stevie uh, was, was self-harming himself and mutilating him to such a degree they had to keep him strapped down. And they, they had to always have him strapped down because if he got free, he would beat himself and hit himself and um, harm himself. He was just violent like this. Kind of like the man with the legion of demons, right? He was chained up and he was cutting himself with stones. And, and so he was in this mental institution, this hospital, and he, was, he had seen God move. He had seen miracles happen. He had seen healings. And he said, God, what's the answer for Stevie? What's, you know, what's, he tried to pray. Like, well, God, what's, what's the answer for Stevie? And he heard the Holy Spirit speak to him and say, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. So he started to fast. He knew nothing about fasting. He had never learned about fasting. He didn't even know that thing that the Holy Spirit spoke was a Bible verse until he found it later. He was like, oh, that's what the Holy Spirit told me. Okay. He started fasting food and water. He didn't know any better. So he just stopped eating and stopped drinking. And after a couple of days, the Lord said, you can drink water now. Like you. And so he starts, you know, not, but he ended up fasting for like 13 days, I think. Uh, no food. After, after a couple of days, he started having water. But he started, you know, uh, after the 13 days, then the Holy Spirit said to him, now go pray for Stevie. And so he went into the hospital, and I'm, I probably will miss some of the details, but the general, it's been a while since I've read it, but the general story is that he gets into the hospital, he goes into Stevie's room, and he now comes and he commands the demon that's afflicting him to come out of him, to leave him. And it was like he got flung back against the wall and, and he, he looks up and it's like he's looking around and he's like touching his hands and he's like touching his face. And the, tempta the, the, the impulsion, the compulsion or the impulsion of the, to, to hit himself is gone. He was delivered. He was set free. He was set free from the demonic torment, from the harassment, from the self-harm. But, but it was prayer and fasting in secret. See, we can't conquer the devil in public until we conquer the devil in private. See, Jesus conquered the devil in, in private before he ever conquered him in public. Before he ever confronted the demon in the synagogue, he overcame the devil in the wilderness. All on his own in secret. See, our secret history with God prepares us for that moment when we're confronted with a need. Because when the disciples couldn't cast out the demon from the boy, and they said, and that the father came to Jesus, 
even though Jesus later said this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting, I want you to notice that Jesus, Jesus didn't press pause and do a three-day fast and then come back to him. See? He had a secret history with God of prayer and fasting that made him ready in the moment of need. And that command that he made was backed by a personal history with the Father. That, that command he made to the demon was backed by a 40-day fast in the wilderness, a history with God in the secret place, a constant withdrawing away to be with the Father so that when he stood and that need was in front of him, he was able to meet the need right in that moment. You can't separate the two. You can't separate the personal history with the public victory. You can't separate the personal secret place prayer and fasting and seeking and crying out to God in private. Whew. See, is it, is it worth it? Is it worth it to us to see spiritual breakthroughs in people's lives and sp spiritual breakthroughs over this region? To set aside time to fast, to set aside time to pray, to seek God in the secret place. So ever since that time, a few years ago, and I, I had reread that book, I, was, I connected. And I was like, I need to intentionally connect fasting to deliverance more in interceding and in praying and in fasting for specific times, for, for meetings, just as a lifestyle and just, in, just making it more into the lifestyle. I'm going to bring this to a close in a couple minutes. I just want to give a couple practical points just to help kind of land with some practical things you can take away with. So a first little practical point. If you have never fasted before, start small and work your way towards longer fasts. Unless you're Mahesh Chavda and you want to start with a 13-day, <laughs> whatever. But in general, unless the Holy Spirit like speaks to you about an extended fast, it's okay just to start real small. I'm going to, you know, maybe you say, well, I'm going to fast a meal. I'm going to fast lunch and I'm going to pray during that time instead of eating lunch. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't think you're not, you're, you're not, you're not being too spiritual or you're not being like, just like nobody starts out a prayer warrior. Like nobody starts out like, well, I'm going to pray for five hours a day. Or like, you know, I mean, you start just by setting aside a little bit of time. So start, it's like exercise. The Bible compares it to exercise. He says, exercise yourself towards godliness. Nobody starts out running a marathon by, by, by you know, I'm gonna, my first day I'm going to run 26 miles. At least I would collapse after a few probably. But if you build yourself up to it, you run one mile, you run three miles, you run five miles, you run ten miles, you start, you're building endurance. You can build spiritual endurance. And so if you've never fasted before and you're kind of intimidated by, just start with something really small. You know, like you can do a 24-hour fast. You can eat breakfast, eat lunch, and then fast until lunch the next day. That's a 24-hour fast. That's, you know, that's, that's something you can, you can start with. That's Maybe manageable or, again, a meal or here or there, right? So that's just a good little practical pointer so that you can not be, feel intimidated. Again, if the Lord tells you to do something more, do, do whatever he says, but just as a, a, a practical point. Here's another thing, just to, I want to just be clear on this. Uh, if you have health issues that would limit your ability to fast, don't, don't disregard that, right? If you're pregnant, okay, I'm not suggesting you fast when you're pregnant. 
okay, or you're nursing, right, okay? Um, or maybe there's some health issues where, where you, you have to have certain types of food or, okay, then you can maybe do what you can. Maybe you can abstain from certain foods and not a full fast, right? So trust God to heal you, trust God to restore you, but in the, in the meantime, in the process, like, I'm, don't just disregard, you know, if there's health issues there, all right? Oh boy, this is, a, this is an important one. If you're coming off of a long fast, ease your way back into regular eating. Unless you want to come best friends with the, uh, the toilet. <laughs> um, ease your way back in. If you've, if you've done a long fast, you fasted seven days or you know, 10 days, and you're like, I just got to have a burger. I got to have, you know, don't start with a burger. <laughs> Okay, your stomach will not be very happy. Start with like a banana, half a banana, a piece of toast, you know. Start with something, work your way. I've, I've, I've made mistakes in this. Um, I, I speak from experience. Um, I'm just going to leave that with you. It's free advice there, okay. You'll thank me, believe me, you'll thank me. So I know, yeah, it's tempting to just want to, well, I just want to eat the chips and this and that and start small, just, yeah. Ease your way back in, especially the longer the, longer the fast, the slower you want to work your way back in because your system is used to not being shut down for a long period of time. So ease yourself back in. Your stomach has probably shrunk, you know, so it probably can't, can, it probably can't hold as much food as normal. All right. Um, another practical point, make fasting a regular part of your Christian walk. So in other words, build it in somehow and find a rhythm to it. There, there was times in my walk with God where I would say, okay, you know, one day a week, I'm just going to fast one day a week. Or, uh, or sometimes I'll do less frequently but more extended. Like, okay, once a month I'll do a, you know, a three-day or it was whatever it is. Or I'm going to do, I know, you know, one year I'm going to do some real extended fast. So I might only fast once or twice in the year, but I'm going to do it longer time, right? So I'm not telling you what it has to look like. I'm just encouraging you to seek the Lord and just figure out what, what is a good rhythm. Build it into your life and make it a regular practice. So it's not just something. Don't wait until you feel like fasting. I don't, I don't know if I've ever felt like fasting, so I would probably never get there. Um, don't wait till it's convenient. There is never a convenient time to fast. You always have this event or that event or this party or this wedding or, you know, this thing or that. Like, you know, so sometimes we're like, well, I got to wait for the perfect week, the perfect moment, the perfect. That, that just doesn't, there, there doesn't tend to be a perfect week to fast or a day to fast. So don't, don't wait till it's convenient. Just, you know, pick something and, and, uh, and go with it. Okay. And just the last little quick practical point. Give yourself grace with this. All right. Again, this is not legalism. This is not, you're not earning your points with God. You're not, God doesn't love you better when you fast more or longer, right? It's just, no, but this is, again, it's the benefits I talked about. It's the drawing near to him. It's the humbling ourselves. It's the breaking off the flesh. It's the obtaining, you know, spiritual breakthrough. Yes, but don't, don't, don't get legalistic and, and beat yourself up over it or think you have to be at a certain level. Just, right, just take your time and just walk with the Lord and ask him to lead you and say, God, what does it look like? Uh, for me to fast right now. Let's, let's stand up to our feet. Yes, my wife Anna would like to just mention something real quick. 
So while we're talking practical, I just want to talk to the moms of young children. So in agreement with everything Jake said, I'm not going to contradict him. Um, and like, if you're pregnant, you shouldn't be fasting. If you're nursing, you can do intermittent fasting. That might be something to consider. But I just want to like dispel this like picture that you get in your head of um, what, what Jake's describing. Like the whole idea of like, okay, well, I'll take my meal times and I'll fast and pray. I, I don't know, I picture this like glorious hour three times a day where it's set aside for me and the Lord together. And I'm just gonna be really honest with you. When my kids are eating, I'm shoving food down my throat as I serve them and clean up the mess. Like there is no time where I'm just eating. I never just eat. I'm always multitasking. And so I've spent a lot of times, like he described it, like fa fasting without prayer is starving. I've had a lot of starving days and I'm just, it, that wasn't the plan. But it ended, and I was like, I didn't even pray today. And I, I, I tried so hard. Like, so I just want to say, give yourself grace, yes. Also, be proactive, right? Moms are primarily the ones who prepare all the food in the house. You know what? Why don't you prep your food the day before so at least you're not having to prep all the food all day, right? That's a great proactive step to take. Plan your times, 10-minute segments. You know what? I'm going to pull away for 10 minutes. You can get your kids situated for 10 minutes and pull out and have some time with Jesus. And you could do that three times a day. Or, or just... I just want to dispel that image of like the perfect fasting day because it in real life, if you have young children that you're home with all the time, you may not have that time and it'll feel really frustrating and really discouraging. And I believe fasting is for moms and us as women just as much as for the men. I think it looks different. I think it looks different. And I'm, I'm like, I, I'm not an expert in this. I'm learning, but I'm like, Lord, teach me so I can teach the mamas. We never talk about fasting as mothers. What does that look like? So I encourage you to just let the Lord show you what it looks like for you because it's probably gonna look very different than it looks for your husband and that's okay. You don't have to resent him for it. You just figure out your own vibe, your own groove, you and the Lord. Okay, so I just, I had to say that. That's good. That's great. Very good, very good. Thank you. So, how do we apply a message like this? Hmm. <clears throat> Who wants to fast this week? So, I actually want to encourage, actually, I want to encourage people to fast this week. That's actually a very practical way to apply the message, is I want to encourage you. Now, uh, we have a deliverance service this Wednesday. We have uh, our regular church gathering it happens to be on October 31st. I don't know, is that, is that some sort of a holiday or is that some sort of a... I have a, I have a tradition on Halloween, it's casting out demons. So uh, there's a little hint of what's going to happen next week. Um, so, we're, so we've actually, Rachel has emailed our, our deliverance team, Rachel, did you... Yeah, and Rachel had emailed our deliverance team about fasting this, this week, um, you know, picking some time and days and stuff to fast in light of Wednesday night deliverance service, in light of Sunday. You know, we're going to go after some things on Sunday. We're going to have a testimony of uh, someone set free from the occult, um, and we're going to be going after stuff like that and going after some deliverance. So I think this would be a great week to fast. I think this would be a great week to kind of just, let's, be a doer of the word. And, um, and so I'm not going to tell you what that's supposed to look like. If it's supposed to be a total fast, a partial fast, a, you know, solid fa fasting, solid foods, or a Daniel fast, if it's supposed to be one day or three days or seven days or whatever, whatever, whatever it is. 
But um, I'm just going to pray, and I want to ask the Holy Spirit just to maybe even we can pause and just listen for a minute and just see if, if the Lord will lead you or speak to you in you know, any way that you, you would participate and kind of join in with what we're doing as a deliverance team uh, in preparation for this week. So, Father, I thank you for this time. God, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for the gift of, of food, and you've made it to be good. You've made us to have appetites and enjoy it. But I also thank you for this practice of fasting. God, that you've intended not to punish us or make us feel like we have to earn our salvation or grovel to you or anything like that, God. But I thank you for this incredible spiritual discipline, God, that you use to, to, to shape us, to change us. God, you use to draw us closer to you. God, you use to recalibrate us spiritually. God, you use to uh, help us to humble ourselves and place us in a place of dependence upon you. God, you use to bring breakthrough in the spiritual realm. So God, I thank you for the gift of, of fasting, Lord, that you've given to us. And God, I ask for your Holy Spirit to help us. Lord, I ask for a grace to fast, even this week. I pray that you'd give us a grace to fast, Lord, and you would speak to every person here in this place or those that are watching online, God. You would speak, Lord, that you would show us, Lord, how am I supposed to fast this week? How am I supposed to fast in this season? What is it supposed to look like over this time? So, God, I pray that you would just speak to us even right now as we just take a minute to pray and just wait upon you. Just take a minute or so and just be quiet and just wait upon the Lord and just reflect and ask him what it's supposed to look like for you and then just see if he might speak to you about something. Father, we just wait upon you. And Father, even as we take time to pray and fast this week, Lord, I pray for just a greater breakthrough, Lord, in the area of deliverance, Lord, and healing and salvation. God, I thank you for every way that you've already shown us your grace and your power and you've worked and brought healing and freedom, Lord. But I, I know there's more, God. I ask that you would you'd stretch out your hand, Father. Lord, you'd bring deliverance, God. You'd bring freedom to those in torment. God, you would set captives free. You'd heal broken hearts, Father. We ask in the name of Jesus. God, even throughout this week, Lord, I pray you'd make us sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I thank you. We, I declare that Jesus is Lord over this region, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that, that Satan is defeated, that spiritual warfare is bound, that witchcraft is bound in the name of Jesus. We pray a breaking of the power of witchcraft even this week. Lord, as there's occultic activity happening, as there's demonic uh, releases happening, we declare it be bound in the name of the Lord Jesus. Lord, that witchcraft is bound over this region in Jesus' name. God, even as we collectively pray and fast throughout this week, God, that you tear down powers of darkness and principalities fall, Father. And you bring great freedom, Lord, salvation, Lord, and healing to your people. So we declare a breaking of the power of witchcraft, Father, even this week. Holy Spirit, would you speak? Would you lead us? 
And I, just, I thank you, God, for just the combining of fasting with prayer, Lord, as you've called us to be a house of prayer. We thank you for that combining of fasting with prayer. We give you, we give you all these things to you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about Threshold Church, visit the website at threshold-church.com.